And welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Delette McDonald. Now, if you don't know her name, you definitely know her work. For over three decades, she's performed with some of the biggest acts in the world. Talking Heads, The Police, Steve Winwood, Don Henley, Tears for Fears, and when Sting went out on his own, performed with Sting. She was featured in the Bring on the Night movie about Sting's Dream of the Blue Turtles tour. She has some great stories to share. I wanted to talk to Delette for quite some time now. I love her work, love her voice. She's such a great person, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with her. Before we kind of look back, tell me about you know the past year because everyone has their own pandemic story. How, how does, how's life been for you? Well, actually, my life has been fantastic, even with um, all that's going on around me. Um, Partially because I just moved to um, the Savannah area three years ago from Florida. And we moved to a community that's like being on vacation all the time. So with all the trails and the kayaking and riding our bikes and we were still able to remain active and um i just went out once a week to do shopping and you know and i'm i'm an ambivert and um so i was okay with staying home (laughs) right yeah So, you know, and, and my wife works from home. So it's, we've, you know, we've just kind of continued our lives the way we normally do. It was great for me. Um, It was just sad, you know, um, emotionally to see a lot of the stuff, because of course I'm empathetic to what was going on around me. But for me personally, I, I didn't have that. I can't complain about what went on here yeah i mean i kind of feel bad like myself because it's been great for me i've been working from home you know ever since you know the last 18 19 months and it's been great you know with the family and everything like that doing this but you kind of you kind of feel guilty that all the suffering you know and all people dealing with like loss and you know life and loss of job and you know you you, you feel you feel bad that you know you're kind of prospering in in that way a little bit you know sure yeah have you been performing or singing during this time? Yeah. Um, well, I am um, on the board of the Savannah Jazz Festival. Okay. And so um, I occasionally sing at events that they hold. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on a project of my own now, hoping to be able to sing more because I can't depend on the Savannah Jazz Festival to get me gigs. I just want to sing. Right. And so I've been, I've actually been doing uh, a once a week vocal session, I call it, with a musician here. And it's just been fun because I don't want to lose um, my vocal capability. Right. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, because I suffered so many years from stage fright, I don't want to lose my comfort singing around people, right. being a, a solo artist, because I was I was happy being a background vocalist, a whole yeah. different thing, right. singing out front. So, you know, I've, I've been doing that. And, and if it doesn't, um, I, I call this my act three because I've divided my life into three acts so I'm in act three and um and Savannah is the perfect place for me for act three because there's always music there's always I can't go to a restaurant where my friends are playing and not be able to sing they always invite (laughs) me up it's it's just a really cool vibe here really really cool vibe right you ever like if there's a say a karaoke or whatever, do you ever go up there and sing one of the songs that you kind of no, backed up I've on? Never, <laughs> no. I've never done karaoke and I okay. don't plan on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to. And you nothing, were, you were, you were nothing, like, nothing against people that do it, but that's just not my thing. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned like stage stage fright. When did you first experience that? Oh, always. Still? 
Yeah. I, um, the difference is now I have the tools to overcome it where I, um, when I spent years touring and as a background singer, it was, it, I overcame it a lot easier because the focus was not on me. Right. Um, and as I've been, um, maneuvering, uh, act three, I, it's, it's tried to raise its ugly head a lot more forcefully, but fortunately I have the tools from my, uh, life coaches and therapists and, you know, all the work that I've done on myself with my meditation practice and knowing how to breathe through it. I just, I've, I've learned to get through it. I still, I'm still a little shaky at first, but after <laughs> right. the first song, I'm good. You yeah. Know? So even like when you went on tour with say, please or sting like that. And like it's a 30, you know, 30 show tour show six, seven, you would still experience it. Always at okay. first, always without a doubt. Um, as the, as the tours went on, not as much Right. when I, you know, it, it's all a, for me, my stage fright depends on my confidence level okay. and my comfort level. If I've had, what's helped me here in Savannah actually is, um, the musicians here just get up and play. There's a lot of jamming going on. There's a lot of, and so being thrown into those situations, you know, makes me more comfortable. I'm not as rehearsed because I, I rehearse myself to death, Okay. you know, and, and what I noticed is even as much as I rehearse, it's not going to change anything. Right. I still have to get up and do it. So um, being here has given me a confidence that I probably didn't have before because I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm singing more in front of people. And, and so it's gone from being a chore to actually being mm. fun. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm having a great time. Right. So when did you first realize this is what you wanted to do with your life? It's going to sound weird, but most of our conversation is going to sound weird. So (laughs) Um, I never really had a, I, when I listen to other people talk about their, their music careers, it's something that they always wanted to do. It's something that they knew as a child, they wanted to do it. I never, ever had that desire that, that, urged that if I didn't do this, my life would never be the same. Right. I, I think when I realized that I could sort of make a living because that was my objective was uh, ap- during and after talking heads. Okay. That's when I was like, Oh, there's something to this. I can, you know, because honestly, I never looked at the future. I'm, I, and I still don't really. Right. I mean, that's just who I am. I live today and, you know, and yeah. tomorrow, okay, if it comes, I'll deal with it then. Um, and I just fell into all of these fabulous situations and opportunities. It just, it was almost like I just let the universe guide me through it. So even even before that, I, I know like your, your mother was a uh, pastor, right? She was an evangelist. Okay, yeah. right. So it was a lot of singing in the church, and yeah. that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. So when you approached her, like I'm going to go on tour with Talking Heads, how, what was that conversation like? Oh, I was out of the house, but I was groaning out of the house by then. I left home at 17. Okay. Um. I, and, and my gig with Talking Heads didn't happen until I was in, well into my 20s. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm a late bloomer. I've always been. And so I left, except for when I left home. I left home at 17 
with the 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 knowing that there was something out there better than what I had. I had no idea what it was, right. but I knew that if I if I had the guts to leave my home, if I could just walk out of that door, that it would be okay. Um, and the and my mother said to me, "If you leave, you can't come back." And I said to her, that's fine. Okay. That only that only fortified right. my <laughs> my drive. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and I left and I'll tell you, I made some really bad mistakes and got into some tough, you know, situations. However, I knew that if I got through that, I would only be stronger and better and smarter because right. I was very sheltered. As a child, I only knew church and school. Right. I didn't know life. So I had to learn life very quickly. And thank goodness I'm a quick study because I'm alive today to talk about it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you, you ended up in New York City then, right? Yeah. yeah. I ended up in New York City and, um, you know, and I had a job. I was working. I was I still sang, I was singing with um, a gospel group called uh, The Voices of Tomorrow. And uh, it was led by Donnie Harper, who um, is the, the director of the New Jersey Mass Choir that sang on that, I want to know what love is. Oh, foreigner. That, yeah. yeah, that right. thing. And so... I, we were his first group. We were part okay. of his first group. And so, and then I went from singing with him to singing back up in clubs in Newark. Um, there was an artist called Mark Sedane that I sang back up for. And, you know, just little gigs here and there. Actually, what was interesting, I got those gigs through my gospel singing. Okay. And then I moved on to secular music. And then I met Sissy Houston. Right. And um, I worked with Sissy for a while, you know, and she was kind of a mentor without knowing it because I would study and see what she yeah. was doing. And we and we did supper clubs in New York, which was such a fascinating time um, because they don't really have those anymore like they did. Right. then. it was it was so cool. And uh, so I did my first real session with her. And um, from that, it was with Walter Murphy. No, it was with, um, oh God, uh, the Afro-Cuban band. Okay. That's what it was. And we did that gig. And from there, and I sang a single, I actually sang lead on one of the songs on that album. Uh, called Black Widow Woman. And uh, from there, it's, I, I, oh, all of this time I was working, by okay. the way. I was, I, sometimes I go to work in the same outfit I had on the night before. Right. Right. But, <laughs> you know, I had, a, I, I was constantly, that was the, the that was my, um, I guess, m the thing that held me together was to always have a job because that's how I was raised. Right. And I didn't know, you know, and I was doing the singing thing actually for fun. And uh, so from Sissy Houston, I, um, I think Talking Heads was my first real yeah. professional, professional gig okay. wow. after that. Right. Now with, with Sissy Houston, obviously, I'm sure Whitney was kind of around a little bit, so to speak. Did you like run into her? Yeah. Did you run into her? Like, like, like what was like your impression of her? She was a kid. Right. She was a kid running around the house. And she would occasionally sing with us, which was cool. We had a great time. Hmm. Um, but you have to realize where my head was at that time and who she was. Right. I she wasn't Whitney Houston. No, of course. She was yeah. just this kid running around the house with yeah. with Sissy and her dad John, and that we would rehearse in the basement, and it was great. Yeah. 
So, but never in your wildest dreams did you imagine she was going to be belting out like these, you know, songs later in the eighties. Oh no, I never, you know, and, and what was so lovely, we hadn't seen each other in a really long time and we saw each other at the Grammys and it was like, Oh my God, you know, it was her first year nominated and I, it was so sweet. She was just so lovely to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, one of the most amazing voices of all time oh. really oh yeah yeah really absolutely now talking heads um i'm sure you never even heard of them when you went for the audition right <laughs> audition or audition or just you know or just got hired on the spot and well i had um i didn't mention him but prior to talking heads i was you know doing session work and it right. was during disco and so there were a lot of little bands that I would sing back up on their um, on their records and some live. Um, and there was a band called uh, not a band. It was a concept because that's what a lot of that was at the right. time called the Bombers. And uh, there was a, a young man named Buster Jones who sang and performed with the Bombers. And I met Buster and I started, we became friends and I started uh, working with him in the studio because he was working on it. He was always working on something. And I mean, that man got around more than anybody I've ever met before. (laughs) Um, And he uh, told me that Tony Hess was looking for a singer. And if I'd be interested, And and I, at that time, I never said no. I was like, sure, why yeah. not? And uh, I didn't have to audition. They took his word for it. Wow. And I went and to my first rehearsal, and the rest is history. Yeah. I no, and you are absolutely right. Had never heard of a talking head. Did not. <laughs> had never even heard of the genre of music that they were singing. Right. Or performing. I had never heard of new, mm. new wave. I had never heard of punk at that time. I okay. was, I, the only music that I honestly had heard of at that time was R&B, classical, uh, jazz, right. um, and gospel. Okay. And my musical knowledge did not extend past right. the limited amount that it that yeah. I had. Right. Was it hard to pick up at first their music or no? God, no. It was so <laughs> easy. It was easy in the sense that they allowed me to just be me. Well, that's good. They didn't, the whole having to sing a certain way hadn't started by that time. Okay. They, um, I had, I'm blessed to have an incredible ear. So I, and, and to be a quick study. And so I sat and listened and watched and, and did what I thought would work in that situation. I, um, you know, if there was uh, a harmony or something that I want, they would say, sing, sing on this. And I just sing a part. And if they liked it, they kept it. If they didn't, they would say, no, try something else. And, and that's basically how my rehearsals went with them. It was so much fun. Right. I got to be creative for the first. That yeah. was one time I was able to, to actually be creative right. with a group. Now, was that like kind of a blessing curse? Because moving on from them, did you expect that with every artist you worked with? That's right. It was a blessing and a curse because when the first time um, I was actually challenged as a singer was when I worked with the police. And the first thing Tessa said to me when uh, I met her is that Sting didn't like vibrato. Right. That's what she said. Yep. (laughs) And let me tell you, that was probably because I hadn't taken voice lessons at that time so I had no no technique I had no um intelligence about music 
uh, or where to put that, where to place that in my voice or where. So the first, I guess the first month um, after every show, I had terrible headaches because I just didn't know what I was doing. And then I sort of fell into how to do it on my own um, before I even started voice lessons. I kind of, I guess, again, the universe worked with me and said, okay, this child needs some help. (laughs) (laughs) And I figured it out. And and I still, and I can't tell you today how it happened. It just did. It just worked, yeah. (laughs) So that was my first vocal challenge, actually. Right. Now with like Talking Heads, like they went on tour, they did festivals and I'm sure like was the Heat Wave Festival? Was that the first show you did with them? That was my first show with them. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> what what a an awakening. I'm sure. Yeah. Um I and I didn't and I was so I guess I don't want to say traumatized because that wouldn't be the right word. I was so in awe of everything that was happening that I didn't have sense enough to be afraid. I didn't, I had no stage fright. There were 80,000 people in front of me. There was, I just, I don't even think I was there to be honest with you. I, I think I was more on the out. I was out of my body. And I knew I had a job to do. Right. And I, and fortunately, Nona Hendricks, I think Nona Hendricks was at that gig. Um, it was just fantastic. Mm. It was really, really fantastic. Um, now that I look back on it, because at that time, I couldn't appreciate what was happening. Right. I had no, had no idea. I mean, who, a little, a little girl from Newark, New Jersey, goes out of the country with this band and she's flying into the gig on a helicopter. I mean, can you uh, just imagine what was yeah. happening to my brain? My brain was exploding with all of these senses and sensations and emotions. And, um, and, and to be honest, that is the, the top, uh, that's the number one gig mm. of my whole life wow. because because of you know where I came from and how that was like my first real experience in yeah. rock and roll and right. everything else paled in comparison. Wow. Now at that point, did you hear of about the other bands like Elvis Costello was there and um, Pretenders? Do you even know any of them? B fifty twos? Nothing, right? It was just. <laughs> <laughs> ashamed to say it at this point no i'm not well no i I think it's hilarious it's funny yeah but i think that saved me my ignorance kind i believe that my ignorance saved me from a lot of feelings that of insecurity a lot of feelings that i was not enough a lot of feelings i didn't get all those feelings until later Later on But no, I, I had no idea who any of those people were at the huh. time. Well, okay. I mean, it's, I mean, now, obviously, you know, all of them are much bigger than they were yeah. you know, and, and yeah. stuff like that, but still it's great. And then you did um, Central Park, which I'm sure living in the city, you probably wandered there a couple of times. Now you're performing in front of <laughs> yeah, probably 80,000 people too, again, right? That was huge. Yeah. That was huge. And that, and I think the Central Park gig was when I really realized who I was performing with. Right. You know, um, the, I mean, Talking Heads had a following, but once they augmented that band, they, they blew up. Yeah. It, it, they became like mega stars when, you know, they had, I mean, who has two bass players? Right. You know, I mean, that was unheard of. And, you know, and and to add Adrian Blue and and Bernie Worrell, you know, uh, that was very smart. 
uh, of them to do that. And, and uh, it, it helped them sell a lot more records right. for sure and sell out a lot more shows. Right. Yeah. And what was your like impression of David Byrne as just a performer and like a lead man? You know, I get this question a lot, and he was just weird David to me. He was just David. He was, I mean, everybody knows that David's a little odd. I mean, he's, you know, everybody knows that. And I, I mean, I didn't see him as any different than anybody else. I mean, we'd have fun. We'd, you know, hang out. We'd go to dinners. We'd laugh a lot. We'd, um, we as a group normally does spent a lot of time together. So I just, you know, I took it in stride. It was like his personality. It was who he was. And it's probably easier just to think of him as just another band member rather than just being all right. of him so you can just do your job and a lot easier. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, you know, it's funny. I've never been in awe of anyone I've ever worked with. Okay. I've ne- and, and people that other singers that I work with, it's funny. I got this reputation as never being impressed. But it's not that. It's right. just that I look at everybody as a person and it's gotten me into trouble. <laughs> the okay. fact that I'm not impressed that, right. you know, somebody I'm working with is just another person. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it has its good points and sometimes not so Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you move on from, um, talking heads i got fired okay um it's it's an interesting story (laughs) i um i got a call to do uh duran duran while i was with talking heads and they were gonna pay me more money and me not being so um business savvy made the mistake of uh being honest, going okay. to David Byrne and saying, right. listen, this is the deal. And, you know, they're going to pay me more money. So uh, are you willing to pay me more money? And he went to his manager and his manager called Duran Duran's manager and told him not to hire me. Oh. So I was out and I didn't know, mind you, right. I didn't know any of this until I was at a soundstage with Sting and Duran Duran was at the next soundstage and Simon LeBond saw me and and I couldn't even believe he knew who I was and saw me out in the uh, common area and said, Dolette, I'm so, so sorry. And I'm like, for what? And that's how I found out what happened. Wow. So, wow. (laughs) So, so, so what did they tell you when they fired you? Just that, you're done. We just, you know, yeah. Good luck. And you know, moving on. That's I, it. They didn't even say that. I just wasn't called. Okay. But that's what they do. Right. They don't, they don't fire <laughs> you. They just don't call you for the next yeah, job. They right. just don't call you for the next job. And, you know, and interestingly enough, I had, I don't have attachments to things, uh, emotional attachments to jobs or, or, or you know, things. Right. I just, and so it didn't really occur to me that I should feel some sort of way about it until years and years later. Um, and I noticed that in show business, that's just what happens. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it ain't my job, right. you know? <laughs> so yeah. I, and I learned that in life um, through studying about, you know, uh, different practices that I have, you know, no one can take yours away from you. That's yours. If it, if it doesn't happen, it's not yours. It's just, it's, it's very simple for me. I didn't realize at that time that I had this thing until I learned what it was. Right. Years and years later, I realized 
you know, damn, I should have been pissed. Yeah. Like whatever. Right. (laughs) Then you said like the universe works mysterious ways. And then sure enough. Exactly as it should. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And then you're ending up with the biggest band. I mean, talking heads were huge. I mean, Duran Duran were huge, but then you get to work with the biggest band in the world at that point, the police. The police. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, that's just, I call that a confirmation. Yeah. You know, that I wasn't supposed to do either one of those gigs. Uh, this was, this was huge. Working for the police was huge. And getting that gig was huge because it happened. <clears throat> I got a call on one day, two days later, I was supposed to be on a plane and I was supposed to uh, know all the police songs. So I listened to them on the plane. I listened and, and fortunately our first meeting was in the studio doing some overdubs on a live show that they had done. So It was cool. It was right. very, very cool. And that's that was that was my first meeting with Tessa, my okay. lifelong friend. I right. adore her, my sister. And um, that was the biggest gift from the police for me was to meet Tessa. And, Tessa. and uh, that the rest is history. The police tour was little did I know that I was doing the last tour yeah. that they would have. I mean, not the last tour, but their breakup break tour. Up. Right. And then their last and show was in Australia, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that last show was horrible. Right. It was the, the tension. You could cut the tension with a knife on stage and Sting was yelling at the singers and yelling at everybody. Yeah. And, you know, um, it was it was it was pretty uh pretty interesting. Right. So you knew but I had no idea. No idea. No. No, I had no idea that behind the scenes because I wasn't I'm not a busybody. I just do right. my thing. I'm not interested. Yeah. And so apparently a lot of stuff was going on behind the scenes that I didn't know. And um the next day we were all leaving. So Sting and I were at the airport. And we were sitting down uh, and I went over to him and I asked him about the night before, you know, I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) What happened? And I think he was shocked that I actually asked him. Right. And uh, so he said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, he said, but I want you to know that, you know, I'm going to be doing some other things and I'll give you a call. I think he just wanted to get rid of me. Of course. Yeah. And that in my mind, that's what I thought anyway. And, uh, and he did, he, well, his people did uh, a few months later. Yeah. Right. Which which surprised the hell out of me. Right. And it's crazy because every, he went solo and cleaned house and just brought you right from the the police and to start the, you know, the solo or the dream of the blue turtles. I mean, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Um, I, it, it's funny because I never thought of about that until I had done another interview and that person said that to me, right. it had never occurred to them. It just didn't. Yeah. I, and I was like, damn, he yeah. did. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that because, I, you know, no, I have led a charm. I still do, but I yeah. have led a charmed life. I just, and these are things that, again, that I didn't search out. I wasn't looking for, you know, these gigs. I yeah. just fell into them. And, or the universe brought them to me or, you know, however you want to look at it. So it's, it's not something I don't ever remember actually looking for a gig right. or, or pursuing a gig. 
They would be word of mouth. They would be, you know, someone would call me. So, you know, when I tell people I live every day in gratitude, I'm not bullshit. I'm not lying. I live every day in gratitude because, again, I'm a little girl from Newark, New Jersey, born in 1952 in a tenement with an outhouse. Uh, I came from nothing and to have been able to experience life and travel the world and, you know, speak of that second language. I mean, all of this, I never, it was never on my radar growing up. But you mentioned how you fall into it and, you know, word of mouth and stuff like that. But you know what? You have to be extremely talented as well. You have to back up. You get you can get the opportunity, but you can show why you're there, and you totally did. Yeah, I I I think that that was important. That was important mm. to be able to feel like I deserved right to be at the at the table. So I worked extremely hard because I don't read music, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these other people, a lot of the other musicians are, you know, um, very accomplished. And I had to be in the same room with them. So I had to make sure that I didn't just bring my A game. I brought my triple A. Right. <laughs> Every letter game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So what was the difference with working with Sting solely as opposed to working with him in the, the police? Was there any difference of him personally? I no. Hmm. I I have to say <clears throat> I spent more time with him as a solo artist than uh with the police. So I don't think I really knew him right. during the police days. I just saw him and I got to know him when he became a solo artist because Sting was really good to me. I mean, he was really, really good to me in terms of um, an artist treating their their side people. Um, He was good to me on a personal level as well. I mean, he would, I would be his date on, you know, to go places and to do things um when Trudy wasn't around it was just he was just uh, a, a good friend to me right. while we were working together so you know um I adore him I still yeah. adore him he he's he was really really uh a, a fun boss to have and a good person to be around because right. I learned, and I also learned a lot from him because he's a smart man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. What I like about him is like, he changes, you know, every album, you know, just different. That's not the same album over and over again. He'll do it, whether it's commercially successful or not. Right. It's he wants to do it. I mean, I may not like it, but he's not looking for my approval. Right. But, you know, it's I, I respect the fact that he just goes out there and does what he wants to do. And, you know, he keeps doing that because every album he puts out is different than the previous one. He's fearless. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it takes courage to do that. Right. And and that's a lot of courage that a lot of artists don't have because they want to make sure that they're successful. They want to yeah. make sure they have this goal of either being you know, on the charts or whatever, they've got this goal Mm. and I read these stories all the time. And if it doesn't work out for them, they fall apart. And, you know, he says he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He he achieved all that already. (laughs) Well, and I think that he does music for himself. Right. And um, I, and this, that's just my opinion. Right. I could be wrong, but I think he does music for himself. Therefore, he doesn't have to please anybody. Yeah. Right. And the musicians you worked with, I mean, he went in a different way and they're all awesome. I mean, Brantford, I mean, you know, Kenny Kirkland, I mean, Omar Keem, you know, Daryl Jones. I mean, this band was like, 
they were amazing. And to get them kind of like in their infancy, Sting knew what he wanted and to pick those guys. I mean, it's, it's a great year. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was smart. As a matter of fact, when I knew who they were. Right. Um, however, when I heard who they were going to be, I had a little bit of a breakdown because I'm like, oh my God, you know, these guys are, how am I going to, you know, I was like, oh my God, I, I, that was the beginning of my insecurities. I'm like, hey. oh shit, you know, I got to work with these accomplished musicians. Not that Sting wasn't accomplished, but I was right. accustomed to rock and roll, rock and roll, right. you know. But then when they threw the jazz thing in there, I was like, and fortunately, I was able to to um, have Janice Pendarvis as right, my right. partner because mm -hmm. she was accomplished. So I knew together, you know, we would be great together because I, you know, I mean, not to diminish who I was, but I also knew that her experience in jazz was a lot more than mine. Okay. So we worked really, really well together. Right. And they documented that in the Bring on the Night movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, after you watched that, what, what was your reaction? Um, no one's ever asked me that. That's interesting. I had, I, I remember the, the night they had a screening and I watched it. And the only thing that stood out to me was, of course, me explaining that job that I right. had. Yeah. <laughs> However, they, there was no lead into it. Okay. There was no one asking me a question. So it just looked like I worked in a whorehouse. And I was so upset. I was so angry. And um, Michael Abted actually came to me and I said to him, you know, how could you do that to me? Because there was a question that was asked. Okay. And it was like, what, what was one of the jobs that you had, you know, yeah. while you, because I had all, all sorts of jobs. Right. And I, I've, I've never stopped working. I've always, I was that person that you see me on television uh, one night and then see me in the office the next day typing. I mean, right. I was that person. Um, and so I told him my concern. And so he did the voiceover for the question, the leading question, just so, okay. you know, uh, I'd feel better about it. But uh, we had so much fun doing that movie i mean it was just an incredible time i i think that was one of the best times i've had doing anything because we were just being ourselves yeah you know and um enjoying each other and and um preparing for something that was important right so yeah yeah, because I mean, obviously, there was a lot of pressure on Sting at that point. He leaves the biggest band in the world, and then he's, like we talked about, going off and doing his own music. Not exactly the Police, but a totally different project, and it worked. I mean, that album, I love that album. It's it's so yeah. good. Yeah, you know? so do I. I still, that's one of my favorite albums. Right. You know. Yeah. And not because I was a part of right. it, but just yeah. because it's good. Right. You know, and Fortress is my favorite song of sting i love that song really yeah yeah and i've seen him you know, a bunch of times and it was only the last time i saw him he finally played it so i was excited oh. because he kind of never played it so i was i was happy that he that he did but and you also performed on the second album as well right yeah yeah and tour and that's when you obviously met jeff campbell i i didn't start that tour actually i wasn't invited on that tour oh, to wow. begin with and um, then I got a call from Sting, actually, and said, hey, you want to come out? And I'm like, yeah. well, why? Why now? Yeah. <laughs> You've already started to do it without me. Why now? And um, I did. I think they had been out like a month before I did. Okay. Something, I think he thought something was, was missing. missing right yeah was it 
as enjoyable that that tour as the first one or just different? It was really different. It was, well, it was different in that I had to get used to new personalities and, you know, and um, I was used to more chill laid back vibe and the new people were not like that. They were a little more, animated and a little more um uh interesting right and so um that's probably why i spent a lot of time in my room Room. yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) but i love jeffrey because and speaking of jeffrey i loved him because jeffrey is a southern gentleman right and I adored him because he always, he never lost his manners no matter what. So, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, everyone listening, I've had him on last year. Take a listen. And his book is fantastic. It's Laugh Out Loud. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I, I read it on a trip and I was laughing out loud yeah. in the airport. It yeah. was hilarious. Yeah. And I love that he, you know, it was at his own expense. He didn't yeah. leave anything unsaid. Now that takes a lot of courage. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I won't write a book because I'd have <laughs> to change the names to protect the guilty. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you have, I'm sure you have amazing stories to tell as well. well I got stories. Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> right. I got stories, but I just can't talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, I won't. I right. shouldn't say I can't. I just, just won't. Not yeah. Do. Yeah. Absolutely. Was there ever a talk about you performing with Live Aid at all or no? No, okay. not at all. Okay. Because no. that was going on. Because I don't, that's, I don't, can't remember if Sting performed. Live I Aid. think Sting and Branford. Okay. Just, just I, I can remember. Them. Okay. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was just thing. And a, a lot of those particular charities, even, yeah. it was thing would just grab Branford and the or two of go. them, which is, okay. yeah. Right. Because I, I know Tessa was with David Bowie. For, right. For that, that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, called her by a different name. I forgot what it was, Teresa or something yeah. like that. Ter- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she now- didn't care. At that point, yeah, exactly. You know, in front of ninety million people, you know, ninety thousand people there, and millions people watching and around the world. And it was David Bowie. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, a couple others. Uh, Tears of Fears is my favorite band of all time. I absolutely love them, and I know you performed with Tessa on uh, their uh, we, season we love a recording album. session. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Year of the Knife, which is also a fantastic song. Yeah. What was that? What was that experience like with them? It was. Um, I just looked at it as a gig. Okay. It was just another gig. I it was as it was an opportunity for me to spend time with Tessa, have a great time right. singing with her. It was, yeah. you know, and they were very um uh specific about what it was that they wanted right. and very clear. So yeah, it was it was great. I was just honored that she called me to do that gig with her. Okay. That was that was huge. Right. A Tears for Fears gig. That was pretty, pretty, uh, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, because it, it took like that was four a big al- deal. Yeah, it took like four years to make that album. I know they had like producer changes, and you know, Roland was very determined. I think basically caused the band to break up as a result of that album. <laughs> yeah. Now, was there ever like talk of like doing other songs? I know they brought in Olita Adams, who you know, obviously fantastic voice, but just oh, yours incredible, is, yeah. It's just different than hers, right? Oh, my. Yeah. There's, she's, she's a pineapple and I'm a grape. <laughs> That's the <laughs> difference in our voice. Right. Because I, she has, soul is palpable. You can yeah. feel when she's, I mean, she's one of my favorite singers of all yeah, time. Me too. You, when Alita opens her mouth, I mean, you feel it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm, I'm an okay singer. I, you know, I'm. There's nothing special here. Right. I, I, I get the job done, but Alita, you know. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, because she went on tour with them, 
and that's right. Yeah, she opened that opening act, but she opened their part of the show just coming out on the piano and just playing, and it was just like blew everybody away. Have you ever away. seen her perform live? Yes. By because I've seen her uh, do it was her and um, what's the blind jazz singer's name? Uh, there's a female black uh, jazz singer that happens to be blind who plays mm. piano. Also, I watched the two of them in okay. concert together. It was just she was amazing. Right. Yeah, I saw her at BB King's in the city. Yeah. And just yeah. amazing. Yeah, I had her on. Yeah. And she's such a sweetheart, too. She but, is. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Now, a couple other people you worked with, uh, Steve Winwood, who also had yeah. a great, great comeback, you know, late 80s with the Higher Love and with that album and stuff like that. Um, what was that experience like? Um, it was fun with the musicians. I didn't have any experience with Steve Winwood. Okay. <laughs> Right. He's the only artist I've ever worked for that we didn't have any type of connection, any type of, wow. I would see him at the gig and that was, that was it. So hmm. most of, you know, my experience was with the musicians there. And as a matter of fact, it was Carol um, Steele, Carol Steele right. the percussionist that got yeah. me that gig. And, okay. and uh, I'm grateful to her for that because it was the, that was, I think, I was the most insecure on that gig than any other gig because I was expected to sing Chaka Khan's part on Higher Love. Right. And I had anxiety. Talk about stage fright. That shit Mm -hmm. almost gave me a breakdown having to do that every night. And that was the only part of the show that I had anxiety over because I didn't want people making comparisons. I wasn't trying to be Shaka Khan. I wasn't, but it was all in my head. It had nothing to do with anybody other than my crazy roommate talking shit in my head, you know, about, (laughs) but, um, you know, it, it the tour itself was fun. Right. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because when I started Tears for Fears, when Roland went out on, on his own, you know, they performed or he performed Woman in Chains and Alita wasn't on that tour. So I believe it was uh, Gail Ann Dorsey who right. mm-hmm. took over and, you know, she did a great job, a fantastic job. But, you know, it's not. I know. You know, and it's. That, and- you can do an awesome job, but people are thinking that's not Olita. And it's it's unfortunate because, you know. But that's human nature. That's is, what people yeah. do. And, um, you know, and, and I had a lot of anxiety about that. And that was the only, and interestingly enough, that was the only part of the show that I was anxious about. The rest of the show, I had such a great time. And as soon as we, as soon as I heard, think about it, I was like, <laughs> here we go right you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah now you mentioned like you know obviously tessa got you some work and carol Steele. was there ever a time when they or whoever you know got you work and maybe the artist you're working with kind of like vetoed it they didn't get the job i don't know okay I, because maybe before i got a job before they said it to me, they said it to they, them. Okay, gotcha. Right. And so I don't know. You wouldn't know. Right. Okay. <laughs> no. It wouldn't be just them going off on their own to recruit you and then exactly. getting the approval. Right. Right. No, yeah. that's not usually how it works. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a little weird, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, also, Don Henley, uh, another, <laughs> you know, you know, big star from a big band went out off on his own. Um, any, any uh, good stories with Don? Don is, was, um, well, I did the whole, um, oh, God, uh, what was the name of that tour? End of the Innocence, um, right? End of the Innocence. Yeah. Um, it was great. It was fun. I got to, <clears throat> I had to work with Cheryl Crow right. part of the time. And then I got to work with my friend Lynn Mabry um, uh, for two portions of that. 
again, I don't know how this happened. I did the whole tour and other people were dropped out or okay. were let go for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know. Um, Don Henley was an interesting bird in that he was very, he wanted things to sound just like the record. Okay. Um, there was no detour and there was no ad living. There was nothing. <laughs> you had to, because I remember, I'll never forget, because Cheryl Crow was a little bit of a shit stirrer. Right. So <laughs> what she would do is at, at rehearsal, she'll say, let's sing this and see what happens. So we'd sing that and he'd turn around and give us the stank eye and say, none of that is right. happening. Okay. You know, things like that. Um, he was very generous uh, in terms of the, there was a, a lot of after gig dinners and all of this stuff that I never attended because right. I'm, I don't know, I instinctively, I was the person in my mind I just felt like there was always something attached to it. Okay. Um, and sure enough, uh, and, and at that time I had a manager, which I, I adore, I still adore, Maria Covalon. And so I never had to deal with any of the business stuff. Right, right. Um, but we had done a, a session for Don with an artist and I don't remember who the artist was. Um, anyway, one of the other singers eventually asked Don for compensation. Okay. For, which she should have got, I got right. compensated yeah. for it. And she didn't get compensated for it and she asked him and he fired that to me was a confirmation of my instinct was right. correct, you know, because I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want people to do things for me with uh, an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. I don't, right. I don't believe in that. I believe that when you do things for people, you do it. Because you with, want to. Because you want to. Yeah. You know, it's real simple. Right. So that, you know, that showed me a little bit of him that I was, you know, I, I, I wasn't that happy about. Um, however, you know, like, like the people that knew him, now I understood why they said, you know, yeah. well, you know, it's Don. You know how Don is. You yeah. know, and, and they would right. always say that and I would never understand right. what they were talking about because a lot of them would be walking on eggshells and, you yeah. know, and all of this. And, and then I got it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, but as far as the tour was concerned, as far as Don's treatment of me, I kept it distant enough where we were always cordial with each other. Right. You knew how to play the game at yeah. that point. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. What he did do for us, which I loved, he carried around a treadmill and a stair climber. Okay. And so we can continue to be healthy. And yeah. I, you know, that to me was That's everything. Good. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Now, was there ever like an artist you worked with? that you wouldn't work with again? Wow. Um, this is going to take a minute. <laughs> uh, because no. Mm -hmm. Well, I would work with John Henley again. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't work with him again. It, no. Um. Not because of anything horrible. Right. However, I just, I enjoy positive energy. And to me, energy is yeah. everything. Right. And to watch people walk around on eggshells. Yeah. 
you know, I'm, I'm like a sponge. So I feel all of yeah. that. And, you know, so no, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't work with Steve Winwood again. Okay. Because, you know, I know it's about the music, but also if you, as a singer, you need to be able to have a relationship with the artist that you're singing with. So on stage, you can have feet, you can feed off of each other. Right. And that's the thing that Sting and I had, and David Byrne, that we had that was so powerful and palpable. And, you know, you could just feel the energy and it made it so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Did you continue being like fans of their music, like David Byrne and like Sting throughout the years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If it's something I like. Right. Yeah. I saw you played with Jonathan Butler. And I really liked him, like his music. Yeah. I did. I did a track. I sang backup on yeah. the track for him, and uh, yeah, that was a shocker because I didn't know who the artist was I was going to okay. sing with, and I didn't know that I would be asked to do a little step out part on right. that song. Yeah, and um, I tell you, I I I listened to that. And I'm still shocked. Yeah, it's a great song. That, it's a Can we start all over song. again? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, was that was like so the only good. time that like that happened where you didn't know the artist going into yeah, the job? Um, yeah. No, no, because I would know the producer. Okay. I would know the producer and then I'd find out when I got into right. the studio because that same producer I did a saying on a Dion Warwick track. I had no idea. Okay. That you know, and, and yeah. these are people that I'm like, oh my god, right? In a mil- never in a million years that I think I would have ever worked with them. Yeah, right. Now speaking of that, like the Amnesty International tours, which had basically everybody, Ooh. you know, on stage, and you know, you were there, Ooh. so I'm sure those got to be like, you know, right up there for you. Those tours were an event. They. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to do one was a once in a lifetime thing, but to do two, right? And you, you you know, again, how charmed a life, right? Is that, um, the, the great, the fun part about it is we all traveled on the same airplane. There was no, you know, ego, no, you know, I'm better than you. No, I'm in first class and you're in coach. There was none of that. We just all hung out, had a great time. And it was fun. It was a great, it was really, really, and, and had probably had I, um, been more, uh, secure in, in in who I was in my artistry I probably would have done a lot more singing right. but I I hid from the opportunities because people were going to other bands and hanging out and, and yeah. performing with other bands I didn't feel that I, I I wasn't that confident to do that I wish I had now yeah. because wow what an experience that was then I did get an opportunity to sing with Peter Gabriel, okay. which I had before the Amnesty International tour. You right. know, I had done some singing with Peter before. Yeah. So, you know, that was fun. But um, yeah, what what a time. What a great time. Yeah. Now it seems like Peter and David Byrne would be like kind of similar personalities, right? Um, Peter was more outgoing than David. Okay. Peter would look you in the eye. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas David would look right past your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. You got to worry about those people, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, David will be, you know, the first to say that he's on the autism spectrum. So, okay. you know, we didn't know that at the time. Right. You know, um, and he just was weird, but now he's you know. kind of normal, right? That's what that's how people are, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, 
this was fantastic. I really appreciate your time. And I can't wait to hear about Act 3 and what, what comes out of Act 3 for you. Oh, thank you, Noel. This was so great. And thank you for, you know, just pulling out of me <laughs> things that I normally don't think about. This is great. Thank you so much. And a special thanks to Dolette for joining me today. You can follow her on Twitter at Dolette McDonald. Her website is DoletteMcDonald.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first Noel19 or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, anywhere you can listen to a podcast. A new episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.